welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Writers Toolshed. I'm your host, Richie Billing, and today we return to our series on creating lifelike characters with an exploration of moral psychology with the brilliant political psychologist, Abby. We'll be getting into the nuts and bolts of what makes people tick, how people justify their actions, and how we decide what is right and what is wrong. So if you're looking to create characters with interesting contradictions and beliefs, or those morally grey heroes and villains we all tend to love, you're going to want to hear what we've got to say in this episode. Before we get into it though, just a few very quick reminders. Firstly, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe or follow the show. You'll never miss an episode if you do so, and your support also really does make a huge, huge difference in encouraging us to keep on going. Link to that are reviews and ratings. If you have a moment to spare, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or giving us a quick rating on the Spotify mobile app. Lots of people have rated us so far and it really does mean a hell of a lot. If you do find the show useful and you think that others may do too, please consider sharing it with them. On Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and all the rest, they're amazing places to share links to episodes or to the show as a whole and with any writer friends that you think uh, may enjoy it as well we don't make any money from what we do so word of mouth marketing makes or breaks us so please please help us spread the word if you would like to take your learning beyond this podcast check out our patreon page you can find lots of resources like fantasy writing classes on writing novels and building worlds and you can also get a copy of my book a fantasy writer's handbook which has just hit 110 reviews on amazon all one star just kidding of course but thank you everyone who's left a review and lastly i invite you to join our writing group we congregate on Facebook and Discord. The Discord channel is getting very active. It's, it's been really good chatting with people, especially because it's so instant as well. I really do like Discord. We chat about literally every aspect of writing and there is a large fantasy uh, element to that as well. So please do get involved. You can also find beta readers. You can get advice on ideas and just stay in the loop with calls for submissions and changes in the markets. To join us, just click the link in the description. That's them jobs done. Now we can start. And I'm delighted to welcome back to the Toolshed, Abby from the fantastic YouTube channel, Political Psych with Abby. Welcome back to another discussion about the psychology of the human mind. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Abby from the fantastic YouTube channel, political psych with abby abby how is it going it's going well and you yeah i'm all right yeah are you feeling better yeah much better i know it was nasty sounded really nasty what you had yeah (laughs) thankfully it all seems to be simmering again no covid and yeah well i'm boosted now and having had it at least i won't get it again for a while (laughs) yeah fingers crossed i know i know a guy who's had it four times Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's quite an unlucky person, to be fair. Yeah. So you're very kind enough to come back and to expand upon our chat about psychology. We, we spoke quite generally 
about it last time. And I think it's such a, an interesting subject. It's, it's definitely worth digging deeper and looking at some specific theories and different ways that we can explore how to create characters that are essentially just like real people. So moral psychology, this is something that I think you mentioned in the last episode. And when we had a chat afterwards, we decided that it'd be well worth exploring a bit more. Um, can you tell us a bit about what moral psychology is? Uh, so moral psychology is basically, you know, what it says on the tin. It's uh, the psychology of morality. So it's sort of how people make, you know, choices in, you know, situations where there could be a choice that would be seen as immoral or moral. Uh, but it's also how they justify those choices to other people, you know, moral reasoning. And also it's about, you know, how systems of morality develop and how they vary from person to person and between cultures, between groups, that kind of thing. And over time. Yeah, I think well, I studied psychology a while ago and I think we did touch upon moral psychology. And when I was researching a bit for this episode, I came across a few things that I studied in philosophy as well. So is there a bit of a, an overlap between psychology and philosophy with this particular theory definitely yeah um you know i mean i would say that the psychology is more geared around how people think about morality rather than like what is moral yeah but there definitely is you know it, you can't uh with the psychology element you can't avoid the philosophical element of you know what actually is good and isn't right so you know, that philosophy stuff definitely comes into it yeah. with, with the psychology. What do you think about the, the whole the morality debate in the fantasy genre as well? Because I think it's, it seems to be one of the go-to ones is good versus evil, isn't it? That sort of exploration of what is good, what is evil. I mean, that's I the yeah. issue, which is that most people think they're good right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes they just think that they're self-interested. I guess sometimes they're, you know, spiteful or they want revenge or something, but there aren't a ton of people who just sort of think of themselves as evil unless they're like, I don't know, like some edgy 14-year-old or something, right? <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing to give your audience like obvious good and evil sides. I'm not going to say that like every story has to be morally ambiguous, right? You know, I do believe that sometimes there are genuine good guys, but most people think that they are, you know, think that they are the good guys, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think probably Lord of the Rings is the go-to example where you've got clear divide lines between good and evil. Mm -hmm. There's no real justification. There probably is deep down in the Silmarillion or somewhere behind why Sauron's on the path of destruction that he is. But you just accept it really because it's a, it's a good story. But there are sort of like, he's clearly evil and you've got like the Hobbits which are the, the epitome of pure and innocence, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> but what I, I'm starting to really enjoy the more contemporary fantasy which explores characters who were like wholly justified in what they're, or believe that they're wholly justified in what they're doing, even mm. though from our perspective, it's the wrong thing to do. And it's yeah. something I like to do. I, I think in, um, in my novel, Prize of Men's, a great protagonist who for half of the story were led to believe is evil. And then I introduce his perspective um, mm. and then slowly build up the picture. And then you get to see, oh, hang on, he's not actually the bad guy, <laughs> yeah. really, if anything. 
and and that's what I mean. It's like it's all a matter of perspective, and that was the whole point. Is that like I can I can lead you down one path, but is it necessarily the right path? And I think a lot of you probably know it very well in political psychology. Everything like there's a lot of misleading information out there and motives behind pulling us in one direction or yeah. I mean, one example, for example, um, Boris Johnson in this country was getting absolutely hammered in the press. Everyone was calling for him to quit. So what did he do to get popularity? He kind of basically ended COVID restrictions. Uh huh. <laughs> so you know, what I mean, there's there's motivations between everything. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I went off on a bit of a ram- yeah. rumble there. Sorry, so. I'm now just imagining <laughs> a fantasy villain based off of Boris Johnson, and it's a really funny concept. Yeah. Um, we need to I read that. that book. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, no, I definitely get the like, you know, matter of perspective thing is, is really important. I mean, not everything is a matter of perspective. And that is like definitely something I want to hammer home, be- home because there are some people within um, political psychology um, that definitely take what I would say is sort of too relativist everyone just has their own perspective approach to morality which i like very strongly disapprove of right but moral complexity is something that is you know good to realize and to have in stories um and you know the fact that you know good people can have different perspectives i think is you know worth acknowledging um i just think that there are limits to that if you get what i mean (laughs) yeah definitely Something which I find quite is interesting, obviously, but it's used a lot in fantasy uh, and something that we spoke about last time as well, and that's religion. Mm. And I think religion's a really good vehicle for promoting rules, like, or, or for, for, like, what is good. Do you know, like, the Ten mm. Commandments, like, you can't really deny that they're quite quite useful. Do you know, in terms of, like, setting some general conventions of, like... Yeah. I mean, respect, respect other people. Don't do, don't rob, don't steal, don't kill. That's yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not a religious. I'm not religious as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, re- religion as a concept is a useful way to promote a moral way of life. Maybe. Yeah. The thing is, though, that it can. I think it's important to keep in mind that there is like moral thinking and moral reasoning around morals that aren't necessarily good right and that is something that comes up a lot with religion because there are a lot of things that religion ends up being quite like morally righteous about that aren't necessarily moral right like yeah oh there are a lot of religions that think you know um that you know uh putting limits on what women can do with their bodies is you know, very moral, very righteous, that kind of thing. And that is moral reasoning. That is moral psychology, the way they're thinking about that. But yeah. I would say that doing that isn't a moral thing, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is yeah. a way It is a way to have a moral system, right, in, in a society. But I do think that morality can exist independently of religion. Yeah, and it is, definitely, yeah. And it is, you know, it's, it's a sort of chicken and egg thing, right? Whether, you know, people had a lot of this, you know, moral reasoning and then wrote it down in the form of religion. And I think some of that is that, right? But yeah. then how much of it is the influence coming from religion versus the influence of people's already existing morality onto religion, if you get what I'm saying? saying? 
you get this with the fact that there are like so many different interpretations of religious texts and you end up with somewhat different moral systems around them and that kind of thing. You know, I mean, I don't know, Quakerism is supposed to be, you know, all peace loving and accepting and stuff. And Richard Nixon was a Quaker. So like, though he might've been a lapsed Quaker, actually, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm remembering that fact that well, uh, but you get what I mean, right? Um, yeah, well, humanity is full of contradictions. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And I suppose it's just different people's ways of trying to explain the mysteries of the world, how things work. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think that part of the reason that I'm not necessarily assuming that like morality through religion is always like top down from the religion uh, onto people rather than from people onto the religion is maybe a little bit because like I'm not religious, but like my background is Jewish. Um, and uh, that doesn't have like, uh, you know, a hierarchical structure in the same way that a lot of religions do. And so, you know, having your own interpretation of it is pretty standard if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not a religious person. Right. Um, and I think part of the reason for that is that I see some of the actions taken by God in the old Testament as immoral. Uh, (laughs) so yeah. Oh, it all ties back into morality, doesn't it? Good and evil. What is right exactly, and what is wrong. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But the idea that, I mean, it is interesting that you can, I think one interesting thing about religion is that it encourages people to apply different moral standards to, you know, God or gods than it does to, than they do to other people. Yeah. And I think sometimes that'll extend to applying different moral standards to religious figures, which is interesting. Yeah, I think it's definitely easier to rally behind a figure or sorts of concepts can be hard to motivate people, I suppose. Oh, yeah. I mean, people are about people, right? You know, I mean, ideas do matter, but we're we're very social animals, right? Someone can have the best ideas in the world and there's not going to be a movement around them unless they're the right kind of person for it. Yeah, that's a really good good point. And something (laughs) that you were... Well, something that sort of you were touching towards there, which again I find is a really interesting discussion, is whether morality is an innate thing or whether Mm. it's learned. And yeah, so what do you think about that? So it's probably a mix of the two, a mix of nurture and nature. You know, most things in psychology are. There is evidence that um, some variation in people's political or moral reasoning and the the way they sort of view the world from a moral perspective might be um, genetic. And then, of course, there's, you know, sort of largely universals across human culture, which suggests that maybe there is something pretty innate going on there. Uh, But there are, you know, variations across cultures, right? And across, you know, families and that kind of thing. And people do, you know, learn certain elements, especially the nuances of morality, you know, from their families and those around them and that kind of thing. So it's, I would say that it's a mix of the two, Um, you know. Yeah, it is fascinating, isn't it? And I was thinking about it before and I kind of see like, a bit of an internal struggle sometimes with like instinct, human instinct and morality. Mm. So I, I, I see it in uh, people's reactions to homeless people. Yeah. So when 
Liverpool is it's where, especially not too far from where I live, like it can be quite impoverished. So there's homeless people outside supermarkets and whatnot. And some people go in, some supermarkets don't have anything. Like they're just enough, uh, just about surviving themselves, myself included, some, some months. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's interesting to see them just completely ignore the homeless person. Yeah. And I kind of feel like in, within that person, there's a bit of a struggle between the needs, the instinct to preserve themselves over doing something selfless, like giving them money that you may need to, to buy something. Because yeah, if you think been... about it, like how many people would go hungry themselves to feed someone even hungrier? Yeah, it is. It is a difficult, you know, tension and having to engage in that kind of, you know, um, moral thinking on a regular basis can be like very emotionally exhausting. You know, I live, yeah. uh, I live in a big city and I live in a neighborhood with a lot of homeless people. And so I, I can't walk down the street without seeing homeless people and often being asked for money. And it's just, you know, most of the time I'm not in a position to give them money. And I try to, you know, give money to, you know, I, I just, I find having to make that moral choice constantly very stressful. So I think, you know, I do what a lot of people do, which is that I typically don't give homeless people money, but I try to give, you know, some larger sum of money to a charity that helps homeless people, you know, at the end of the year or something. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it's just, yeah, no, it is very difficult. I'm not going to say that that's necessarily like a tension with instinct, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because yeah. we do sometimes have like conflicting instincts, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like the the sort of like pro-social instinct and the sort of like more selfish, self-protective instinct are like, they're both instincts, if you get what I'm saying. And they're probably... Yeah about equally old. I'm not an evolutionary psychologist, but you know, these are both things that our ancient ancestors had to contend with, right? You know, not the exact same situation, but situations regarding, you know, uh, you know, resources and allocation of resources is definitely, you know, something that humanity humanity has been doing for a very, very long time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. It is yeah. interesting, and again, it's it's another contradiction, and it's within our within us, within our makeup. Yeah, these sort of conflicted insect in, instincts. Yeah, I just think it makes it makes us complex, and it makes us interesting. Definitely, yeah. People are people are very interesting. <laughs> and as writers, there we go. That's the uh, what we're trying to hammer hammer home here is this is the source. This is how. This is why people are interesting and different and varies and yeah. This is how we understand them. And then when yeah. we understand them, it's easier to create them. So, yeah. Something that I was going to ask you about, which is something that we studied in law school when we were doing jurisprudence. And it was, there was a couple of scenarios. And I always really like 
putting yourself in these situations. I, I think I mentioned one to you before, didn't I, about the, the runaway trolley? Yeah. So basically, there's a, a runaway train cart or a trolley or a train, whatever you want to imagine, flying down a hill, brakes, brakes gone, can't stop. There's 50 people on board and as it's going down the track, you you essentially are the um, the line conductor or controller, and you've got the choice of of sending this runaway cart in one of two directions. In the first direction, you can let it run, and it'll hit and kill one person, but all fifty people on the cart will survive. Or yeah. you can um, send it the other way, and the one person will survive. But all 50 people on the cart will die. Yeah. So what do you choose? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting, though, isn't it? I think it's... it's I mean, get the, thing it, that, yeah. the thing that's interesting is I'm pretty sure that you get different results whether or not people have to actively choose to harm the one person, right? Yeah. Uh, because people don't want to actively choose to do harm, right? It's a sort of, you know, blame thing, right? So it's not just pure utilitarianism it's also what you as a person specifically have done right so you know if i do nothing and more people live i'd probably do that but would i be able to actively hurt the one person in order to save 50 i don't know yeah that's that's an interesting way it's like the, the manner in which the one person is killed but i think Absolutely. that the original argument is is sort of questioning the value of life and what is whose life's more um, important, the lives of 50 people or the lives of one person, and who decides which life is more important as well. That's a, it's an impossible question to answer, I think. Yeah. You don't want to have to be in a position where you're deciding whose life is more important, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah. the other example that I have for you is uh, four starving sailors stranded at sea on a little sailboat. Uh, we mentioned that one to you before. And, uh, yeah. So basically, four starving sailors, uh, they're all going to die. One of them is weaker and is likely to die sooner than the other three. Um, but the other three won't survive much longer unless they have something to eat. So the question is, do they kill the one person, the one weak person, so that they and eat them, so that they survive? Or do they all die and not eat them? You see, this is where disgust comes into a factor with um, yeah. comes into a factor with with moral reasoning, and disgust actually is a very big factor in a lot of moral reasonings, uh, especially in the purity moral foundation. We'll get into moral foundations theory later, but you know, certain people are going to have different responses to the concept of cannibalism, right? So it's not just about who lives and who dies, or, you know, if they all die, and, and it's not just about sacrifice, it's about specifically the societal taboos and the disgust around around the specific act, right? For me, I have a, like, deep-seated fear uh, and disgust of, of cannibalism. It freaks me the hell out, like, so much. So in this situation, I jump off the boat and voluntarily die, which is not like a utilitarian answer in any way. That is purely disgust-motivated, but that is honestly what I do. <laughs> I think I'd do that as well, to be honest. Yeah, right? Because it's the disgust thing, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not feeding you today. <laughs> You can all die if you're going to eat me. <laughs> uh, 
Do you mention moral foundation theory there? Yeah. You want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So um, it's this theory of moral psychology that basically um, there are five main um, moral foundations and there are five core to the theory. A few others have been proposed. And if a new one is found, that doesn't like disprove the theory, but these are the five main ones used. Um, Let me pull up the list. I did. I do have it up. There we go. So the first of these foundations is the care foundation uh, versus harm, then sort of fairness versus cheating, loyalty versus betrayal, authority versus subversion, and sanctity versus degradation. And so the idea there is basically that different people and different groups rely on their different foundations to different degrees. And that's sort of why different people have different morality. How do you think then writers could apply that to the creation of their characters? Yeah. Oh, I do want to say first that like uh, some of the authors who put this theory forward do kind of say that like, oh, we should value all of these foundations equally. And in the context of political psychology, that's like something I very strongly disagree with because... You know, if you're relying very heavily on, for example, the purity foundation, that can lead to things like homophobia. So, like, I don't think that all of these foundations are, like, equally moral. They're just all present in moral reasoning. Sorry, that is, like, a really important distinction I felt the need to make. Um, Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, what I was going to say is, when it comes to writing, I think it's important to figure out sort of what the moral system of your character is and what weight they're going to put on, you know, different um, foundations. There is actually like a little quiz you can do of like, it's, there's a website called like my moral foundations or whatever that is actually being used to um, uh, collect data. So if you're doing it for a fictional character, try and like indicate that in some way so they don't put it in the data. <laughs> uh, but in the whole study. Yeah. I mean, probably not if you're only doing it for a few people. They have, I think at this point, thousands of data points, you know, fall into the noise. Um, But what I was going to say is, um, you know, it's useful to figure out sort of what foundations your characters are relying on more heavily, right? Um, You could have, you know, a very fairness-oriented character, a character who cares a lot about, you know, authority, um, and it doesn't, you know, and very much, you know, loyalty to the in-group and that sort of thing. And that character is going to have, you know, a very different set of values than a character who doesn't think about that very much, but cares a lot about, you know, um, care and fairness and that kind of thing. And also, you know, these sort of foundations are kind of influenced by the environment that a character has grown up in, right? Um So, you know, if they've grown up in a very puritanical religious culture, um, you know, unless they're rebelling against that, they're likely to have, you know, they're likely to rely pretty heavily on the authority foundation, the purity foundation, and also probably the loyalty foundation. But, you know, if a character grew up in sort of a more, you know, uh, I don't have a fantasy equivalent of this, but let's say a liberal background they're, you know, more likely to rely more on the care and harm foundation and the fairness and cheating foundation. Uh, sorry, and the fa- yeah, the fairness foundation, which I think is also often called the equality um, moral foundation. There are a number of different names for the foundations. Yeah. So it's, you know, different characters can have different moral systems. 
And also that's a way where because characters have different, you know, moral systems, that's a way for them to be in conflict. Also, you know, certain elements of some of these moral foundations are not what I would think of as moral, if you get what I'm saying. And so that is a good way to have, you know, characters who are, uh, who think of themselves as moral, but are not the good guys, if you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah, You know, you can have a character who has a really strong moral code based off of, say, purity and authority primarily, and that could be a fundamentally evil character, but with their own very strong moral code. That's really interesting. I was going to actually ask you about... Oh, and I'm not saying that like everything that falls under the Purity Foundation is inherently immoral, but there's a lot of stuff under there that's very, um, it's very uh, repressive. <laughs> I think if you suppose if you if you lean to that sort of extreme, you're only going to take a definitive stance on things, aren't you? You're not going to compromise, really. Yeah, I mean, it depends how strongly you lean on things, right? Um, but yeah, no, there are definitely people who have more compromising or more uncompromising. Um, morality. I mean, the tendency to have a you know a more sort of black and white worldview is definitely something that you know varies person to person. I mean, coming from political psychology, a lot of it is people who want to think about the world less. You know, who have a a preference for a lower cognitive load are yeah. more likely to have like a very black and white worldview and be very sort of absolutist about things. So, yeah, I mean, it is important to keep in mind that, like, not everybody's going to be equally flexible in their thinking about morality or really anything important. And just sticking on with political psychology, um, I understand you've been working on some new videos about people's politics and psychology and how that relates to sexual preferences and relationships. Yeah, so... um, I'm working on two videos at the moment, one of which should be out in time for Valentine's Day. So that'll probably be before this podcast episode comes out. And that one is about how uh, people's fantasies and sexual preferences vary across the political spectrum. Um, And that's in both the US and UK context. I'll give away that one of the big things is that conservatives do also tend to be sort of more sexually conservative. But there's a lot more really interesting nuance than that. So I would encourage people to like check out the video. It's going to be a fun one. Um, (laughs) Like the one I put out more recently, it had some fun bits, but the the one I did about um, uh, about the psychology of sexism was much more like, you know, serious and important. (laughs) Um, As a follow up to the one on uh, sexual preferences and politics, Uh, I'm going to do something that was actually initially supposed to be like part of the um, first video, but then I realized I had enough material for two, um, which is going to be about um, like dating across party lines and, you know, the effects that politics have on relationships, if that makes sense, because there is like a very strong tendency for people to partner up with someone like with the same politics or similar politics to them. And I do also think that that probably carries over a bit into into fantasy settings because, you know, if you have characters, you know, who are, 
you know, in a relationship together or even not a romantic relationship, just, you know, working together or friends or that kind of thing. I think it is important to keep in mind, you know, where their morality clashes and where, where their politics clash, where they align, um, that kind of thing. And, you know, what kind of tensions those are likely to exist within a relationship. Although within relationships, part of the reason is probably not people like selecting for someone from the same, say, political party or ideology for, as them. It's more that uh, ideology and party and that kind of thing correlate a lot to personality and temperament and all that kind of thing. And also probably morality. Uh, and people tend to gravitate and stay with people who, you know, generally view the world a similar way to they do and interact with it, you know, in a more similar way. I mean, people definitely complement each other in relationships, but opposites don't really attract that's like not really a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just like you say, from the writing perspective, it's so interesting to know that, like you say, people generally group together based on their interests and how easy it is as a writer to just add conflict to all of their lives by introducing something that goes against that belief. Yeah. And it's really that easy. Just introduce a character yeah. that believes the opposite and antagonizes people and you simply got an antagonist there haven't you and yeah definitely disrupts the the balance and yeah yeah. and i think it's also important to keep in mind that like if you're gonna have characters be like very ideologically different you should also probably have them be different in like personality ways and stuff too you're not necessarily gonna find people who like act exactly the same but have completely different views on everything yeah there's so much scope to to create unique things, even yeah. in fantasy, which feels like everything's been done. But every <laughs> time and time again, people are proven that there's still loads to, to be tapped into. So, yeah, definitely. Fantastic. I think exploring things like psychology as well is a, a really good way to find the originality now, mm-hmm. making characters more real. Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been fantastic chatting with you again, Abby, about psychology today, and I hope everyone out there has learned something new. I've, I've taking away loads from this and I'm looking forward to implementing it now when I'm going back now and editing characters and whatnot. Uh, Abby, how can we find out a bit more about you? So uh, the main thing would be the YouTube channel. Uh, So that's Political Psych with Abby. Uh, You can just put that into YouTube and you should find me by searching. Um, But there'll also be a link in the podcast description, I assume, right? Yeah, Yeah, most definitely. Okay, great. And then I um, also have an Instagram and a Reddit account uh, where I post psychology stuff, but also like cute pictures of my cats. Um, (laughs) And uh, that'll, I don't know, probably be in the description or you can find it via my YouTube channel. Uh, And if you find my stuff and you really, really like it and you want to help me uh, like pay for books and stuff, um, I've just started a Patreon. Oh, cool. Definitely check that out. And uh, please do check out Abby's YouTube channel as well. It's it's full of really interesting things and you, you're going to learn a lot for, to inspire your characters and to help you create characters as well. A big thank you again to Abby for taking the time to teach us all a bit about what makes us tick. My two chats so far with Abby have been so illuminating and inspiring and I've found myself applying what she said to my own characters. I hope you found it just as useful as me. Remember, if you have any requests for subjects or topics, please email into the fantasywriterstoolshed at gmail.com. I've had some great requests lately, and 
I'll say this, everyone who does offer their input, I do reward with a nice free gift. I won't say what, but it's usually a writing class or a book. We'll be back on the 14th of May with another well-building-centric episode, this time looking at the jobs people did in the Middle Ages and how those roles have found their way into the fantasy genre. So think blacksmiths, alchemists, the, the good old farmer. So be sure to subscribe or follow so you don't miss that episode. And don't forget, you can continue your learning beyond this episode by heading over to our Patreon page. You can find writing classes and books all focused on fantasy, which you can get access to right away. And don't forget, you can join our writing group too. It's literally the perfect place to learn new things and to network with like-minded writers to get advice on your stories, help each other out with with your writing. And honestly, I think it's uh, working with other people is one of the best ways and the quickest ways to get better as a writer. If you did enjoy today's episode, I'd be ever so grateful if you could leave us a review or a rating. And please also share the show with anyone you think may be interested as well as on the likes of Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Like I said at the start, we do this purely for love. We don't make a penny. So any little bit of help you can offer us makes the world of difference. And that is about all for today. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with a new episode on the 14th of May. And until then, keep on scribbling. Scribbling.